Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Folks, we are in uh, new territory uh, for Utah. We have a nine year old who's arrested in Tooele. Um, and we have some um, laws here in the state regarding how old kids have to be before they can be held criminally responsible. Um, This child does not fit the age. uh, And so we, we now like what now he's been arrested uh, in connection with the shooting death of a 32 year old family member. Uh, Neighbors have told KSL five television that that family member uh, it's, it's a father and son situation. So we have all kinds of questions, and as I said, a lot of new territory to cover this morning on this sad, sad story. Dave. It's so unheard of. It's so devastating. I, I'm having a hard time processing this very fact that a nine-year-old has been arrested. I'm just devastated, but we will find out and peel back some layers. It's 9.06. It's time for the launch. Engaged. And brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union, here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. We're also going to head over to the Fair Park area and talk about that announcement, you know, about the new baseball stadium. It happened back in April. Friends and partners have joined together in a coalition to bring Major League Sports baseball to Utah. And I really like this plan. Uh, we're kind of going to do it the Vegas way, baby. Uh, we're going to hash out some details uh, about who's going to pay to build the stadium. And even better, um, not only who's going to build the stadium, but who's going to pay for it, how it's going to be paid for. If I'm just going off the words of the governor, and this was said like in the same breath as, hey, we're going to bring Major League Baseball here, hopefully. He said, I don't think taxpayers should subsidize billionaires. We don't build stadiums. That's not what we do. Except this new bill kind of has us building a stadium, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So we've reached out to the governor. We want to know, okay, do you still feel so passionately about uh, not subsidizing billionaires? Because this could be worth nearly a billion dollars. Countdown to... Well, speaking of stadiums... uh the ballpark area, and we're going to head over to like 13 South and Main Street now, okay? Um, it was certainly a trouble spot for crime in Salt Lake City uh, for many, 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 many years. And now there's uh, been a huge drop. And we've actually talked to, to neighbors in the community about this. We've noticed a palpable change. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for Salt Lake City police officers. Ah. All right. So when I first heard this, I thought, okay, is it just dumb luck? Did Salt Lake Police Department do something <laughs> differently? Like, did they trip, stumble, and fall into Listen, solving sometimes, crime? Okay. Sometimes crimes just don't, they don't happen. You know, the, the criminals took it, took the week off, so the numbers <laughs> went down. 
Police say, though, it was no mistake, and they're going to join us live on their new ah. crime reduction strategy. Launch countdown one. We've had a new question um, pop up in this just absolutely tragic story out of Tooele um, regarding this nine-year-old who was arrested in connection with a shooting death investigation of a 32-year-old man in Tooele. Um and what popped up is is our read of Utah law. When I was reviewing it in the newsroom with KSL legal analyst Greg Scordas, Dave, just before the show. In Utah law, Greg's read of it says a nine-year-old cannot be held criminally responsible in the state. He's 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 too young. Now, certainly, the community is shook up. There's lots of things we don't know yet about this case. And police have even told us we are proceeding with extreme caution. He is nine. This is new territory. You know, a situation like this where you have one family member potentially uh, being killed by another, you don't lose just that one family member. You lose two family members. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Such a devastating story. But nine years old is such a a strange age to, to be having this. Obviously, this is unprecedented. But... At nine years old, you're not an infant, you're not a toddler. You're in third grade. You know right from wrong. You know what a gun is, you know what a gun is used for and how deadly it can be, how dangerous it can be. You, They're old enough to know this. But what does the law say? And can you hold them criminally responsible? Well, this nine-year-old has been arrested. Dave and Dijanovic. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dijanovic. Dave and Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. I want to proceed with caution, too. There's a lot we do not know about this case. Is this new ground? This is new ground for you and I. It's new ground for KSL News Radio and our colleagues at KSL 5 Television who've been covering this. It is new ground for prosecutors, uh, for police. Um, and, and so here's what we know so far, okay? A man was shot in the head in Twilla on Friday night. Police arrive at the home, Dave. They get him to the hospital where he dies. Uh, then we know that the nine-year-old was arrested in connection with the shooting. Now, from there, that's where things get really fuzzy. Why it happened. We don't know why. And what can happen or what cannot happen to this nine-year-old child under Utah law is another question we're seeking answers to. And what information are we entitled to? The police have said there is no threat. There is no threat right now for you know future anything, right? But so I understand the curiosity level is is off the the chart. It's not about curiosity. A lot of this why will determine whether this child can be held responsible in juvenile court. Um, So the why is also really important, and we'll get to more on that in just a moment. But what we do know so far is that Friday night, 730, Tooele PD officers dispatched to a 32-year-old man unconscious and bleeding from the head. That's the information they're responding to. Could be anything at that point. Right. So so they get to the home or the area, I should say, you know, the area where they were dispatched to, and they find this man has been shot in the head. Um, no specifics from what Twilla PD has uh, released so far about what happened from there in terms of their investigation. 
So it goes from they arrive, they send this man to the hospital, then they begin investigating. And the next thing we hear about is they've arrested this nine-year-old family member of the man. And as of yesterday, police had uh, told the media when we went out to the area that they weren't sure what led up to this, at least not yet. In my eight-year career, I've never seen a situation like this. I know many officers who have been here for their entire career have never seen a situation like this involving, you know, a homicide and potentially uh, someone being so young being involved in it. So it's it's new for all of us, but it's something that we're looking into right now and we're trying to determine what led up to this point. When I first heard this story, my mind immediately went to an accident. Cleaning a gun, handling it, it was left out. The fact yeah. they're using words like homicide in connection with this. Um, we don't know how he got the gun. I think that's important to know. We, we don't have that information. Police also said uh, in their brief news conference with the media yesterday um, that they wouldn't tell us if more than one shot was fired. They were holding that information back, at least for now. And I think what's most important in terms of the fate of what happens to this nine-year-old is the why. Why? It is probably the most important component at this point regarding what his future holds in terms of the justice system. KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis has been analyzing Utah law and here's the twist. In, in our analysis, when he and I talked this morning, the nine-year-old, a nine-year-old is too young to be held criminally responsible under Utah law. We know this nine-year-old has been arrested. Let's ask Greg next to explain what could happen to a child in this situation. David Duchenovic. David Dijanovic. David Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. I was just grabbing my notes here, Dave, that I took this morning before the show uh, about this uh, twist. Um, and this could be the first case of its kind in Utah of a nine-year-old, by the way, arrested in connection with a shooting death uh, investigation of a 32-year-old family member. Um, and as Greg Scordis and I, our legal analyst here at Broadcast House, of course, Greg's Greg's been a, a prosecutor for, you know, for many years here in Utah. He's now a defense attorney. Um, we were calling each other back and forth, and he was looking at the law, and he said, under Utah law, a nine-year-old cannot be held criminally responsible. So the law says anyone under the age of 14 cannot be held criminally responsible. Uh, we're going to talk to Greg in just a moment um, about, you know, if that's the case under Utah law, then what is the fate of this nine-year-old in this shooting death uh, in Tooele um, hold? And I understand there's a level of privacy, and we want to be very sensitive to what is going on. Again, we're talking about a nine-year-old. But because we've been given so little information, we don't know any of the backstory. We don't know what led up to this. We don't know if the child is mentally challenged. We don't know if it was self-defense. These are the if, things that are going through your mind. Yeah. I mean, it, was it intentional? Was it vicious? Was he protecting someone? We don't know any of this because they're being so tight-lipped. Uh, good morning once again, Greg. Thanks so much for jumping on the air with us and our listeners once again. Uh, this is such a – this is horrible. Um, this is new territory. It's new territory for police, the press, for prosecutors – 
I'd imagine uh, when I called you about it this morning, you were even shocked about the details I was giving you from what we knew. Yeah, this is a tough one, Debbie, and, and you uh, correctly indicated what the Utah law is. And that is that a person cannot be held criminally responsible for conduct that occurs before their 14th birthday. Now, that does not mean that they cannot be adjudicated in the juvenile court, but juvenile court is not criminal court. And what happens in the juvenile court, uh, Dave just sort of indicated, is is private. It's usually protected from the public, although they have some ability to attend some hearings and and it couldn't result in any in any way shape or form with a criminal conviction or something that this boy will have uh, to live with for the rest of his life but that that just assumes the worst i mean he may be completely justified in what he did may have been an accidental discharge we don't know the facts but if if it was something where it was like a an intentional act it still could not result in any uh, criminal conduct here criminal adjudication now, Greg, the the idea that a, a child uh, fires a, a gun and, and hurts somebody, that is not unprecedented. That happens. So, you know, what, what really changes for us is that police are looking at it. They're talking. They're using words like homicide. Well, he was arrested. And, and he was arrested. So I, I would say that the, it's pretty clear that to me, at least, reading between the lines, that it wasn't an accident. At least, police are not seeing it that way. Right, and and that's real. That's real troubling because we don't. We understand, and if you're a parent, you know that a nine-year-old certainly has a different mindset, a different idea of right and wrong than a than a nineteen-year-old. And so we we treat them differently in our system. That's why you can't charge them criminally because they just don't have that kind of a, a maturity. And development in their their mental state to to appreciate always the consequences of their conduct. I know some people are probably rolling their eyes right now, but really, there's there's probably no state in the country that would allow for a nine year old to be prosecuted criminally. It just it just doesn't happen. That being said, the, the question always remains: Now, what do you do? What do you do with a nine year old? Well, he can be adjudicated in the juvenile court. They can take him into custody, which they've done already, and perhaps even put him in some level of detention or secure confinement. But that'll end when he's 18 or maybe at the very, very most when he's 21. If they even are able to proceed with anything, because again, I want to be very conscientious that we don't know the why behind this. And to me, the why is a very critical component in this entire discussion about what happened. You know, if it, it, right, right, it it is the critical component, yeah, and it that is, is the what thing. was right. What was he thinking? What was going on? And uh, why did he do this? If it was self defense, there's no adjudication at all. If it was an intentional act, then let's figure out what the juvenile court can do to 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 help this young man. So, Greg, if if a child uh, or a minor is in detainment, uh, some sort of twenty four hour, uh, you know, confinement. Uh, what are the age ranges that we would see? Well, he would certainly be on the very, very younger end of that. I mean, we don't even have nine-year-olds in our detention facility that that you can think of. I mean, and it it would be tough for a nine-year-old because there are, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, and they could be a bad influence on him. They could be a, a problem for him. So it may be some secure care where he's 
mostly a loan or maybe even something like a home detention, ankle monitor, that type of thing. And we don't know. Uh, but Or he may need some level of hospitalization uh, given that age and, you know, counseling that he might need. Who knows what's going on in, in his head right now and what's going to be the best for him and for society. We're speaking right now to KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis about the arrest um, of a nine-year-old in connection with an investigation into the shooting death of a 32-year-old man on Friday night. There is a lot we don't know about this case. We don't know how he got the gun. Police are not releasing how many uh, bullets were fired. Uh, They are saying that they arrested uh, the nine-year-old. Um, and also police um, yesterday, Greg and Dave, um, you know, you knew Dave when we were reporting this yesterday that police wouldn't uh, confirm a connect. Uh, they said it was a family member who was shot and who eventually died at the hospital. But it was KSL 5 television who gathered from the neighbors in the area that it's a father and son. So that adds a whole nother layer to this, Greg. Oh, yeah, it does in a lot of realms because you wonder what what mom's doing. You wonder if there are siblings involved. You wonder what extended family there is and what was going on with the father and the son. I mean, was the father in any way uh, responsible for this in terms of uh, being, you know, abusive in some way? And I'm not suggesting that at all. But or did this kid just act out uh, because he was, uh, you know, upset at something? I mean, we we don't know. And the, the thing is about juvenile matters and juvenile courts. We may never know everything about this case because they are secret. They are private. And we guard the the identity and sometimes even the background information of our juvenile offenders for a good reason, because we don't want something to carry uh, throughout this young man's life. And so whatever happened here may may not be well known by you or the public for a long time, if ever. Greg, in part – the word the word sounds flippant, and I don't mean it, but I, I'm so curious or interested in in these details is because I'm looking at the law that says uh, anyone under 14 can't be held criminally responsible, and I'm I'm trying to ask myself, 14 years old, you know, that's an eighth grader, you know that that is a pretty old, you know, certainly you could know you know what you're doing when you're committing a crime so is 14 the appropriate age i i'm not saying nine is the appropriate age but i think it, the re, part of the reason i i'm interested in all these details and and really understanding what's going on specifically is i i think there's a conversation to be had is 14 the right age is it too old is it too young right and under utah law 18 is the right age under 14 is the wrong age. So then you got this 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old that we don't always know where to where they're going to end up. They can go into the adult system. They can be charged criminally, but typically they're, they're, they remain in the juvenile court. So 18, you're an adult. 13, you're not. 14 through 17, the court has to decide, and the prosecutors and everyone else has to decide whether or not you should be treated more like an adult or more like a child. And, and that depends on the, the nature of the crime, the maturity of the individual, prior criminal history, and, and whatnot. Greg Scordis, thank you so much. Uh, we really, really appreciate your analysis. This is a tough conversation. It is a first-of-kind conversation that I've had. I know many of us have had um, ever. 
uh, regarding the arrest of a nine-year-old um, after um, police arrived at a, an area in Tooele on Friday night and found that a 32-year-old man um, had a, a bullet uh, to his head. What we haven't really taken a dive into yet, Dave, and we can later in the show, certainly, is the idea that this nine-year-old had access to a gun. Like, uh, how? Um you know, you'd said earlier in the show, the first thing you thought of was well, maybe it's a hunting accident. You know, like they're cleaning guns after hunting. Um, and it was like, that would make sense. And then you would, it'd be conceivable that a nine-year-old in that circumstance would have access to a gun. But to me, that adds yet another layer to this. And I, I think that's part of what has our, our minds spinning right now is there so many unknowns. Straight ahead, um, we're going to go back just a bit to this announcement. Friends and partners have joined together in a coalition to bring Major League Sports Baseball to Utah. And I love what I just saw unveiled um, as a way to pay for a brand new baseball stadium in the Fair Park area. We're going a little Vegas, baby, on this one next. Your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. I do think it is the most significant sports announcement since uh, the Olympics when we brought the Olympics here in, in 2002. Could get them again. Uh, Utah wants a Major League Baseball team, and Gail Miller is. Working really hard to make that happen. Our coalition called Big League Utah has registered our intent to have Utah's capital city considered as an expansion market with Major League Baseball. We know the league is considering expanding from 30 to 32 teams, a new one in the east and a new one in the west. only makes sense that Utah is on deck to become that expansion team. And since then, since that announcement back in April, some very good things have fallen in place like for us. Okay, so the A's, there's two teams. And the reason we're talking about these two teams is because Major League Baseball said until the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays can figure out their stuff, we're not going to even look at expansion. And their stuff is largely, are you going to stay or are you going to move? So the A's looking like they're going to move to Vegas. Now, the A's are a disaster, so this could fall apart because everything the A's do is disastrous. They're just a poorly run franchise. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Rays, they just got a new stadium deal. They're worth over a billion dollars, so they're staying, staying put. So if the A's go to Vegas and the Rays are set, then expansion becomes a real priority for Major League Baseball. And the the Miller Group just announced this $3.5 billion deal or power district on the west side of I-15 near yeah. downtown. Okay, so like the North Temple area, there's the smokestacks there. That's what there's smokestacks, yeah. There's the stacks, and then there's, you know, some area around there that would probably have to be raised um, in order to... Remitted... Yeah. Um, but then the question becomes, how do we pay for this? Um, and we're doing a little late Las Vegas style. Adam Small in the newsroom has been looking over a new proposal just unveiled on Capitol Hill that could help pay for mm, a ballpark. 
Yeah, so Representative Ryan Wilcox has put forward a, a brand new bill. This was just introduced uh, in in the last few days that it centers an, it it kind of aligns with what the the Miller Group put out last week that huge 3.5 billion dollar proposal to not only build a stadium but to completely uh, transform the west side of Salt Lake City, that huge development. So Wilcox's bill wants to create a Fair Park Area Investment Restoration District and put a government council over that district. But more importantly, it talks about some of the taxes that could go towards helping pay for this huge development, including a stadium. Okay, so you said taxes. Utah's famous for like, we hate taxes. We, we want to give tax cuts. We don't want to raise taxes. But this would specifically be raising taxes to fund a stadium. Right. And, well, the only statewide tax in the bill text I've been able to find that actually, like, the only statewide tax that would be raised is the hotel tax, like the room tax. But And that tax is predominantly paid by people who are out of state visiting tourists. Utah. Tourists. Okay. Yes. So, tourist tax. So, so tourists would foot the bill. For us to enjoy uh, Major League Baseball, um, what is it, 80 home games, 90 home games? I love it. 81 games. Love it. What, okay, so how much do are these tourists have to pay? Well, right now the hotel room tax is only like 0.32% in Utah. Well, that's cheap. Okay, so every time you rent a hotel, they're tacking on an additional 0.3%, and that's the, the that's tourist tax. bargain. That's nothing. Yeah. Okay. But this bill would more than quintuple it to 1.92%. Oh, oh no. I don't know how people are going to afford that. So for every $100 you spend, it's going to cost you a buck 92. Okay. So, so let's say I'm driving through um you know, Carbon County and I decide I need to stay at a hotel. I don't even know if there's a hotel in Carbon County. Of but there is. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get, it's probably a Super 8, right? Super so there's 8, a Super yeah, 8 sure. everywhere you go, right? <laughs> so they always leave the light on. So there's light on there in Carbon County. That's Motel 6. Oh, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen lights on it in Super 8. I'm Dan Bodette, <laughs> and we'll leave the lights on for you. <laughs> Damn so, so, something like so, that. and I, and I, no, I'm not. I know there's no way I'm going to make it to the um, Fair Park District in order to spend the night. So I got to stay out in Carbon County, and I have no intention of actually going to a baseball game. Am I still going to have to pay the hotel tax there, Adam? Um, the, if it increases, it it sounds like a lot of those hotel fees will eventually go to help fund a new baseball stadium. But it is important to know the hotel room tax. That that's the only statewide tax okay. that's kind of tied into this. The other taxes really are generated. Uh, and and revenue for this development really comes from around the stadium. I mean, you're talking about, um, for example, on line 46, provides state-owned land within the district boundary to be subject to a privilege tax. There's also enhanced property taxes in that okay. in that area. You kind of so. sped read through that first part about own land in the district is privileged. What is that? Say that part again. A privilege tax, and that's just what it says. And it's state-owned I... property. Right, state-owned land within okay. that district. So we're talking about the land around the stadium. So we're talking okay. about that area subject to a privilege tax. There's also tons of lines about property taxes. It implements potentially a bunch of taxes I've never even heard of until today. There there was one, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe it was, if we're talking statewide, that's that 2% tax it's, that everyone is getting hit with. But in the actual Fair Park area itself, in that new development, it sounds like there would be a larger tax just specifically for that area, perhaps even something as high as 15%. On what? 
it would be on the hotels, same thing. Oh, hotels. Yeah. Okay. So it, yeah. same hotels, okay. but it, it'd Thank be you. like it, a larger portion of it would be paid from yeah, that area. Because those are going to be prime hotels. Right. right, right? Yeah. And, and some of those and some of those district specific revenues and tax rates, I believe at least one of them that I read was specifically subject to if an MLB agreement goes through. That's right. as far as I read. But like, but yeah, within the district, they're going to be they've be, the bill basically just gives them permission to implement a bunch of like revenue generating sources so adam thank you for joining us from ksl news radio another little nugget here debbie that i read in the the salt lake tribune was that the the stadium say the stadium's built the the ownership group so presumably the millers would have to pay a lease a monthly lease okay of hundred and fifty thousand dollars mm. over 30 years okay so they're picking up a portion yeah so over I'm- 30 years that hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars a month would would end up only being around 50 million dollars 52 million dollars so utah going a baby version of vegas baby because vegas when you think about hotel taxes oh, immediately Immediately, I just looked up, like I pretended to book a room at one of my favorite places to stay because they have the best beds <laughs> on the strip. Trust me. <laughs> um, and the hotel tax that is added, they call it a resort fee, so it sounds awesome, uh, is bonkers, to use a word that Dave always uses. It's bonkers. So a little teeny hotel tax, sticking it to the tourists. I love it. How about you, Dave? Resort fees? Taxes on a tourist tag, uh, if it's building a Major League Baseball stadium, I love all the taxes. I am cut every tax available, but if there's a Major League Baseball, I, I suspend everything. I'm like, right, make pass a Debbie Dujanovic tax for all I care. <laughs> I love it. Tax everybody. So let's ask our listeners to call in. Can you get on board? Um, but with raising the hotel tax, just an itty bitty ba- amount. To pay for a new, or help pay for a new, $1 billion, almost, baseball stadium near downtown Salt Lake City. Live phone calls next. Who's on deck next? Dave, Dave. and DeGenevich. Hey, callers, hold the line. Jason, you're first up to bat uh, when we get to our phone calls about uh, funding the new Major League Baseball Stadium uh, near downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, The legislature's unveiled a plan to add to the hotel tax, to raise some funds. And I love it. But Dave and I also want to remind you right now, we've got a secret contest going on. It's for our podcast listeners. It is a podcast listener exclusive. Here's what you need to do. 57500 is the text number. So you'll be listening to our podcast. I'm going to give you a keyword, And uh, the keyword is not transient room text. I'm just going to tell you right now, that is not the key word, uh, as tempting as it might be. But it, you take that keyword, you text it to 57500, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some AirPods. AirPod Pros, like the nice ones. Speaking of TRT, transient room tax, uh, there is a plan in the Utah legislature just unveiled um, to help facilitate new Major League Baseball um, a stadium on the west side of downtown. Uh, it's the Fair Park area, folks, right? That's yeah. what that's what it's called. That's what it is. That's what we know it as about North Temple. Um, kind of near, like, but like Redwood Road, I-215, yeah. that area in there. So this plan calls for raising the hotel room tax to pay for a new billion-dollar stadium near downtown Salt Lake City. Yes or no? 
Thumbs up or thumbs down. Taking live calls in just a second. And the reason legislators like this so much is because typically these tourist tags are paid by out-of-state folks. So you come in, you stay at a hotel for a few nights from out of town. Grandma's visiting, you know, the grandkids. They're the ones that are getting hit with this this tax. So anytime you stay in uh, a hotel, add another couple bucks. You're sticking grandparents in a hotel? Okay, there's a whole other layer to that conversation. Jason from Fremont. It's been a minute since Dave and, up, uh, Dave and I have been up in, in your area. How's Fremont treating you? Oh, not too bad. A little wet, a little bit of snow this morning, Ooh. but not overall, pretty good. All right. What do you think about this uh, hotel tax? Well, not a bad idea overall, but add into the piece that there was always that legislation that's gone through talking about making it so Utah can have a state lottery. And then if those funds would help pay for the education system and other areas that are underfunded, that maybe some of that, if that goes through, maybe use some of the income based off of that to help fund for the stadium. Yeah, there has been that push on Utah's Capitol Hill recently. It's not the first time we've heard it. Uh, Usually that gets a big, nah, not going to happen from leaders up on Capitol Hill. So we don't know where that's going to go. But that was uh, proposed by Representative Kara Berkland Berkland, um, and seems to, as usual, like it'll probably stall out just my personal opinion but uh interesting yeah i interesting I, idea i think one of the keys here and it sounds like the entire state's going to be involved in this so even though major league baseball will be the the epicenter of of activity it's going to be this incredible design that we've seen the the new initial plans for the power district that's what they're going to call it uh, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to have a, a river walk down the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. It will probably be one of the finest Major League Baseball setups collectively with the environment, the hotels, the restaurants, the stadium, as any place in the world. It The plans are spectacular, but somebody's got to pay for it. And developers will, will take a, a chunk of it. But a lot of that, and it sounds like somewhere around close to a billion dollars, will be the responsibility of of uh, the state. Uh, taking your live phone calls, I like the idea of sticking it to tourists. Um, it's a little bit of Vegas, right? I mean, you go to Vegas. I, I just went on and pretend to book a hotel at one of my favorite hotels on the Strip to, 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 to stay at, just because I've always thought the beds were the most comfortable and um it's 95 bucks for two nights in vegas is the resort fee which 95 dollars. yeah on top of you know the 195 dollars a night on a sunday and a monday night to stay there in march you know just in case i wanted to go do a little birthday celebration happy birthday to me in vegas another hundred dollars tacked on top of that rate to pay for the resort fee so they're getting rich off me too, so we might as well stick it to them when they come here so we can have some Major League Baseball. Ron, good morning. What do you think about this plan? Well, um, I'm thumbs down on it um, because of taxation. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, I'm not against baseball coming and I and the whole plan and all that kind of stuff. I think that's all wonderful and nice. I think when this... Um, original idea of baseball coming to salt lake was um we're gonna we're gonna have it come but we're not gonna tax anybody and now here we are all of a sudden 
with the big plans coming out and everything that now we want to tax people. Uh, even though it's, it's, an, it's a small tax, and I, I've heard you talk here uh, on all of that, but it's just the idea of taxation, period. Um, let's tax the poor to give to the rich. Um, and I, I don't like the idea. Um, I'm, I, why, don't, uh, why don't the state of Utah ask for donations so that not everyone in the state is required to pay uh, even though Ron, thank you for the phone call. And I think what you're saying echoes what Governor Cox said back in April of last year when he said, I don't think taxpayers should subsidize billionaires. We don't build stadiums. That's not what we do. So we've reached out to the governor. We want to know, is that still his plan? Is that still his stance that you don't think that taxpayers should subsidize billionaires? Again, he said, we don't build stadiums. That's not what we do. Well, this is exactly what we're doing as we are funding uh, at least a a large chunk of this stadium, close to a billion dollars, through hotel taxes. Now, you can say that's not directly affecting Utahns. Well, yeah, of course, Utahns are going to be – I still stay in hotels here in Utah. Absolutely, I do. When I travel around to southern Utah. Oh, okay. Absolutely, I – when it, softball tournament. Say, I have a couch if you need it. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I have a home, Deb. Thanks, so I appreciate it. But no, of course, we we stay in hotels, so we will be paying for it. It is not a large increase. Mm-mm. It's going from 03 percent mm-hmm. the proposal to one point nine percent. So it's two dollars on every hundred bucks you'll spend. Okay, two bucks, uh, less than a cup of coffee. Come on, two bucks. Uh, on our KSL News Radio Facebook page, love the fact that we put these questions on there so we can involve our Facebook friends. Um, and please feel free to like us on Facebook as well. Um, Kendall says subsidies for sports arenas are a terrible deal for communities. We should offer them a loan, but not a subsidy. That's an interesting twist. I disagree that sports arenas are a terrible deal for communities. I think they. Something like this will build up a community. Um, And that area of town um, has, we need to lift them up. And in more ways than just financially. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dejanovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. You don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and DeGenevic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. I'm going to take you back just about two years ago and we're going to go over to the ballpark neighborhood in Salt Lake City. That's where the Salt Lake Bees have played for many years. Um, that area had a murder rate nine times higher than Salt Lake City as a whole. Um, in August, a 17-year-old seriously injured when a shooting happened on a Sunday morning. Uh, and the sounds of gunfire captured on that doorbell camera. Chilling. Chilling. Prostitution, uh, sex trafficking, property crimes rampant 
And my girl's like, the car's broken into. I'm like, what you mean? You know, so I come outside. I see both my windows just broken. They just broke the windows and didn't take anything. Residents were just felt lost on what they could do. I just have to trust, I guess, uh, trust in the leadership and the, um, the, the knowledge and, and skills that the police have to help us keep, keep employees safe. So the city of Salt Lake did something. I would say the most notorious convenience store in the area that was known to be a site of drug dealing throughout the valley that changed ownership due to the efforts of one of our most dedicated Salt Lake City police officers. That was Amy Hawkins. She spoke to us uh, just a short uh, couple of weeks ago about the transformation of her neighborhood. And we're going to get into more specifics in just a moment. But crime has gone down. The Salt Lake City Chief of Police, Mike Brown, um, said so very recently at a news conference. In the ballpark neighborhood, we saw a 32% decrease in violent crime in 2023. So when I heard this, these numbers, these are, these are big numbers. They're significant numbers. So my initial question was, uh, was it dumb luck? Because sometimes it just happens, right? It kind of ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. Deputy Chief Scott Morcus joins us right now from the Salt Lake Police Department. And uh, Deputy Chief, I wanted to know, okay, did you guys just flood the area with cops for six months, get the numbers down, or was this something more serious and sustainable? Yeah, and thanks for having me. It's great to be here talking with you guys. Um, as far as it go- comes to our strategy and crime reduction, it's not just about the ballpark area. This is a strategy that's taking a place across the entire city. Um, it's broken up by geographical divisions. And within this particular area of the city, which we call the Liberty Division, the ballpark area was an area that we decided to focus on specifically because of the concentration of crime in that area. Um, and it's not simply about just flooding the area with cops. Now, certainly, Increasing police presence in an area is always going to give you good dividends, uh, but it's much more than that. It's about being strategic, about identifying and addressing different crime patterns, as well as working with businesses and communities with different approaches. It's, it's, a, it's a wide-reaching, evidence-based approach that uh, we've put into place over the past two years and that we're seeing a lot of success with. What I am um, glad about is that this is actually, this story came to us by talking to people in the community, um, Deputy Chief Marcus, not... <laughs> The chief of police said what he said about crime reduction, but then we spoke, you know, shortly thereafter with Amy Hawkins, um, who is, you know, she's a community member, often speaks out about problems in the neighborhood, and she called the show and she said this. We've noticed a palpable change. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for our Salt Lake City police officers. So here you have neighbors in that community thanking um, the Salt Lake PD for their actions. What steps did you take and can you share the formula for other communities that might be dealing with crime? Sure. Um, and it's always great to hear that positive feedback. Um, you know, I mean, that's the whole reason we do this. We want less violence in particular communities. We want less crime in general. And if people are noticing that, then we're doing a good job. Um, when it comes to the formula, if you will, we really took a step back and looked at the evidence base and worked with some outside criminologists who I have a lot of good connections with uh, through some other avenues um, and talked about this idea of what's in the criminology literature called the law of crime concentration. I don't care what city you go to in America, you're going to find approximately 5% of streets in any given city are going to account for 50% of the crime within that city. Back up and say that stat again. Wow. Rewind it. Tell us that again. Yeah, it's, it's called the law of crime concentration. And again, it doesn't matter what city you go to in America, you're going to find about 
about 5% of streets in any given city are, is going to account for 50% of the crime in that city. And this is something that every cop probably knows intrinsically. You, you know the trouble spots around your, your area. Yes. I, I think every good cop intuitively knows this, right? Um, areas that experience ongoing problems with crime are not new. They've been there for a while. Right. Crime concentrates and it it tends to stay where it is. Um, The trick becomes for police departments. How do we use our finite resources to strategically approach and attack these areas where we know crime is concentrating and disproportionately accounting for um, crime within the overall city? We're speaking live with Deputy Chief of the Salt Lake City Police Department, uh, Sergeant Scott Morcus. Um, and uh, that area around the ballpark community um, specifically uh, was crime-ridden. There was a lot of problems with crime where the Salt Lake Bees uh, play baseball, and the neighbors have been very outspoken about it, and they've noticed um, a big change for the better. Um, so from there, once you identify um, through you know this literature, which is fascinating to me that this is one of the problem spots, where do you go from there to start addressing it if you're not just going to use like an old model of policing, which is just put a bunch of patrol cars on the streets every single night? Yeah, and it's a multi-pronged approach. You know, each of our patrol divisions has a captain over it. They're division captains. They have geographical responsibility for their area. Uh, the captain over this particular area is ultimately responsible for crime reduction in that area. And I meet every other week with the patrol captains to talk about what have we done in the past two weeks and what are we doing in the next two weeks. And that's a whole host of different approaches. Um, we have uh, some outstanding crime analysts that work for us as well as a, a data administrator. And they're constantly scanning uh, the city for different crime patterns. And when we see those pop up, Uh, Those get assigned to different watch commanders, which is a lieutenant level for us, and they are responsible for closing out that crime pattern, which means we do not want to see that same crime, whether it be car prowls, burglary, whatever, in that area for two weeks straight. And until that happens, you are still responsible for that crime pattern. And we've had a lot of success uh, approaching things in that way. When you're looking at these more concentrated areas, we're talking about doing dispatched patrols where we've identified areas where a lot of violent street crime is occurring, as, as well as what days and time of day that occurs. And we populate our CAD with dispatches for officers to go to that area and just be highly visible. So CAD is a computer-aided dispatch yeah, <laughs> system. A lot of people who um, aren't familiar with police terms won't know what that acronym stands for. And how is that how does that play into this? You just, you just is like a computer system that you you just populate with this information all the time. Yeah, I mean, criminals and crime are like anything else in life. They they have patterns, right? There's patterns. You just have to sift through the data and identify them. And so these areas where crime are concentrating, identifying those areas first is the first problem, and then identifying when are these occurring, what days of the week, and what time. Ah. It, and it's pretty stable. Um, is it? It is. They're predictable. It, it is predictable. People are predictable. You just have to understand the patterns. And then we can, we can put those times and dates into our dispatch system where our officers are then dispatched to those locations on those days and times. And they just have to be there with all of their lights on and be highly visible. That alone will deter crime. And we're talking about having violent crime in the focus area in the ballpark area. We're speaking with Deputy Chief Scott Morcus. Uh, after we saw a, a huge reduction over the last couple of years, and in fact, a, it was almost a 50% reduction in violent crime in the last couple of years, specifically in the ballpark neighborhood. That's where the bees play. Uh, this was really a hotbed 
uh, of criminality. And in the last couple of years with some of these approaches that you've been describing, you've seen some really incredible results. When we come back, I want to ask how you get community buy-in, because I know that is a, a crucial component of it uh, to get the, the folks around this area to buy in to your vision and what you're trying to do there when we come back. Can we can also talk about this. Remember when Amy Hawkins joined the show from the community and said that there was a closure of a hotel and a closure of a problem well, business? Store, yeah. um, can we talk about the, the closures of these places that she told us were attracting a lot of crime and how the city did that? Dave and Janovic. We're speaking live in studio right now to the Salt Lake City Police Department about how they got a grip on crime in the ballpark neighborhood in Salt Lake City. Um, that's the area where the Salt Lake City Bees have played for years. Amy Hawkins, who is one of the community leaders in that area, has been so gracious with her time over the years here on the David Janovic Show to call us and give us updates. And a few weeks ago, when the chief of police, Dave, announced that there was a significant reduction in crime in her neighborhood. We fact-checked him, (laughs) and Amy called the show, and here's what she said. We've noticed a palpable change. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for our Salt Lake City police officers. And I think Amy has, has joined our show for years. We've talked to her several times, and she's also been very honest when things are not going well. So that's in part why it stood out to us. When she is praising and saying things were changing, things had have we feel like there's been buy-in from the police department and from the community. So joining us right now is Deputy Chief of the Salt Lake Police Department, Scott Morcus, and uh, I, I do want to examine how do you get the buy-in from the community because a lot of times we'll hear the complaints, but. I know from the the policing angle, you've got to have buy-in from the community as well. How have you done that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really think there's two prongs here. You you have organizational buy-in and you also have community buy-in. I think those things overlap, right? As in any organization, there's always the good idea ferry ferry going around, right? And we we implement something new and two months later, it's just gone, right? Oh my goodness. Everybody's guilty of that. Right? Great point. And so implementing a strategy like this, part of it's first getting buy-in from the officers in the sense that, you know, this is... This has longevity. We're serious about this. This is the approach. This is what we're going to do. And a lot of that comes down to different accountability structures within our agency. And our, our Captain Captain Goodman over the Liberty Division has done an amazing job of you know really emphasizing that we are going to be doing these things in this area for the long term. And it's the same kind of thing with the community, right? Like they've they experience the same thing if you know the good idea ferry comes along and we do something for a month or two months and then it goes away you know it's hard to get by into that but i think as we've shown that we're serious about this we're serious about uh being consistent and having longevity in this approach i think that's gotten a lot of the buy-in as long as with the results that come along with it and then again captain goodman and her um, um community liaison officer for the area really go out of their way to go out and talk face-to-face with business owners as well as different community members to really kind of explain what's going on and help in different circumstances. I want to talk about the business closures uh, that we learned about uh, that Amy Hawkins uh, told us about when she called in uh, because she said that was really helpful. And I want to find out how that was done in just a moment. But I I want to talk specifics. What crimes crimes have been reduced in the the ballpark community? Yeah, so we're talking about two... Two different areas, right? You have the overall ballpark community, 
Okay. And then we have a specific area within the ballpark community that we've really been focusing our energy on. Um, when it comes to types of crime in the overall ballpark, uh, the overall ballpark community for 2023 compared to 2022, we're talking about a 32% reduction in violent crime. And for violent crime, we're talking about homicide, aggravated assaults like shootings, stabbings, robberies, robberies. And somebody comes rapes. up to you with a weapon yes. and forcefully takes something from you. This is the super, super scary stuff. Absolutely. But what most likely is going to affect the general public is the property crimes. I mean, to me, those are the kinds of crimes that you come out of your, your home and your windows are all smashed in or, you know, your yard has been vandalized. Uh, your home has been burglarized while you're away at work. Have there been a reduction in those kinds of crimes, too? So for the overall ballpark community, we saw a small uptick in that for last year. But in the area that we've really been concentrating on, we saw a 17 percent reduction. Okay. So again, it's about using really hyper focus. Yes, it's it's really about using the finite resources to concentrate in the areas where we see the most concentration of crime. We cannot be everywhere at once. So where do we get the most bang for our buck? And that's what this is about. And violent crimes, obviously, at the top of the list. Yeah. Yes. I mean, property crime affects more people in most cities. But violent crime is far worse. But we we really try to focus on physical harm. So those violent crimes are going to get more Well, you have a lot of people coming to that area and likely still will if the A's end up in South Jordan for a few seasons and you've got um, people still showing up at Smith's Ballpark to walk... uh, watch the bees play the a's and the bees isn't that weird okay the bees play near downtown salt lake city so you're still gonna have people coming and people have complained about the crime in that area when they go visit and so they're a little nervous about bringing their kids down there so a reduction in violent crime is especially is especially important a reduction in property crime where you don't come out and have your tires slashed that's important too so one of our listeners texted in on our text line um deputy chief markets and asked when you reduce crime in the ballpark area, does crime just uh, scatter to other areas? We hear that a lot. Does that happen? That, that's a great question. Um, in the in, in the crime science literature, we, we refer to that as displacement, displacement of crime. And I actually have a hard time even convincing some officers that this doesn't occur in the sense that it's a nuanced result. What we find in the literature, as well as what we've seen here locally, because this is something we've measured along the way, because it's something to be concerned about, is is you do see evidence of some displacement, but it's not a one-for-one displacement, right? So it's not as if, let's say, you're going to have 10 crimes here in this one area and we're moving all 10 crimes to another area. We see some displacement in the sense that, well, now it's only seven crimes that have moved to the other area rather than the 10. So you're still seeing an overall reduction, even though you do tend to get some displacement, but it's not a one-for-one. What I've noticed, too, in the years of covering the Salt Lake City Police Department response times, crimes, and crime trends is, for example, I remember I think this guy was out stealing catalytic converters years ago. It, it, it may have been cars. I, he was stealing something of importance to people. Um, and when you arrest him and you focus on an area and are able to drill down on the one suspect, and maybe he has a few tentacles, he's got a few people working under him, once you take those people off the streets, and it just seems to really reduce all the crimes because you've you've – You've taken the head off the snake, so to speak, and you put him in jail or you take send him back to prison because he was on parole. Yeah, th- this concept of crime concentration just isn't about locations. It's also about people. Yeah. Right? There is a small amount of people that are responsible for a disproportionate amount of the crime in any community. And so, again, using intelligence analysis, we try to focus in on those individuals that are the most problematic because if you do, if you are able to get them into jail and 
ostensibly keep them in jail, then yeah, that can have an effect on crime as well. Okay, specifically as we were talking about the ballpark, a couple things that were mentioned was uh, either there was a change of ownership on a convenience store or closing of a hotel. What what was addressed uh, in in this, and how does that impact? Yeah, and again, I, I'm going to have to point to uh, Captain Goodman over this particular area and her uh, division community liaison officer, Detective Fallows. They work very closely face-to-face with business owners as well as the property owners of this bu- these businesses or these specific locations that are being rented out. Um, if we have a problem tenant or we have— Lots uh, of crime uh, that's attracted because of them? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, they property owners have rights as far as who gets to use their yeah. property. And most property owners don't want people committing crime on their property. So we try really hard to work with property owners to get them to voluntarily do something about their uh, tenants if they're committing crime. Uh, There are also ordinances that we can use to address it from that angle. It doesn't have to necessarily be an arrest. If we can remove the problem without making an arrest, that's just as good in the sense that the crime is no longer occurring. I'm going to be honest. You convinced me it wasn't dumb luck. It sounds like you guys had a plan, you executed it, and it has been very successful. And is it, uh, you can repeat it in other areas as well? You're confident about that? We have been repeating the same process uh, in every division of our uh, city and seeing very similar success. And these, again, these are evidence based strategies that we have known about for 50 plus years in really? policing. Yes. It's just about putting it into a system where an agency can um, use their resources to attack it in a strategic way. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Deputy Chief Scott Morcus from the Salt Lake Police Department. Uh, best of luck. Stay safe. Yeah, thank you. Keep keep working hard out there. It sounds like uh, what you're doing is working. Members in the ballpark area of Salt Lake City are certainly noticing it. And now you need to also, you got to clone Captain Goodman, apparently. <laughs> we heard a lot about Captain Goodman. Can we meet Captain Goodman? All right, we're going to meet Captain Goodman soon. Um, next, um, Heather Kelly in studio with us. She just dropped a new podcast episode this morning. I listened to it. It's all about our mindset impacting our personal spending habits and our relationship with money. The belief that we have enough can change our behavior. Oh, she convinced me she's going to join us next. Let's see if she can convince you, too. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Look, I do this. Uh, Heather Kelly busted me today totally when I listened to her brand new podcast that dropped this morning, uh, Money Making Sense. And it has to do with your belief in yourself and how it affects your income. And I'm a total Debbie Downer when it comes to me. Like, I don't deserve it. Um, I'll I'll never do well in the stock market because I'm just a total loser when it comes to picking (laughs) stocks. And um, she dives into how this really does totally play out um, in real life when you think that way. You're telling me you just got to believe? Well, there's more to it than like, that. I'm hoping I'm getting more than the Oprah Book Club here. <laughs> like, you just got to believe you're going to be a millionaire. Um, first, before we start, who's the coach you spoke to uh, on this podcast? He was fabulous. Yeah, his name is Justin Janowski, and he's the founder of Faith to Influence. Okay, let's listen to part of, of what he said to you. The belief that we have enough can change our behavior. 
And if we believe that we've got enough, then we can start to save a little bit. And even if it's just a small, small amount, if repeated again and again and again, it can make a big difference. Holy smokes. So let's start there. That just answered it for me. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a little bit pie in the sky, you know, like you just got to believe you can do it. <laughs> but the the belief that you have enough. Yes. Okay, what does he mean by that? That means that you have enough to cover your rent or your mortgage, your food, your necessities. If you believe that and you, you always ha- have and you always have had that's enough true. to to survive, then any little extra, even if it's a dollar a week, you can start putting that away into savings. Can I share a little bit of a personal story on this? Yes. Because as you were saying it, it kind of clicked in my brain that you have enough. So I, I've been very, very transparent about this. I'm on a, a little weight loss program right now. And and it's it's simplifying food. So we're we're not eating out. We're eating at home. We're going to the store. We're purchasing very clean, healthy meals, right? Yep. So I'm buying the vegetables and the and the meats. And it is shocking to me, number one, how little food I actually need to eat. <laughs> I don't need to eat the entire sleeve of Oreos. <laughs> how little money I need to eat and how affordable I can eat and eat healthy. And it's been a revelation because I always, the family budget was like, oh, we need $1,000 for food to feed everybody. I'm like, oh, well, that's actually not the case. Yeah, And so you've realized through this that- you even if you're eating a thousand or twelve hundred calories a day, that might be enough. And what we're realizing through Heather's podcast, and I'm not saying that's enough for everybody, but I'm just right. saying in under under certain plans that might be enough. And with your with your podcast episode today, what I realized just to equate that to money is he said something to the effect of you have to understand that so many people in this world live on two dollars a week. Or $4 a week. And let's say that's even $5 a week. And that's a huge amount of people. What you have when you look around and the fact that you have even a device to Mm -hmm. listen to this podcast on tells me you have enough. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about it. He says if you have a phone, if you're paying for that phone, the, the phone bill or just buying the phone outright, you have enough. And so you need to start then using that belief to then realize, okay, I can look around. Where can I put some money away? But by this, the reverse is also true. If you think that money is evil or, you know, big corporations, it's just evil money, and you are you don't want to be like that, you could be pushing money away from yourself because you do not want to be that person, so to speak. So he says you want to reframe that. If you are concerned that you don't want to be that evil person or the bad actor with a lot of money, then think of any extra money you have as you can use that to help your community instead of just trying to not have it. Oh, I'm not going to be that, you know, the guy next door has a 10,000 square foot house. So so uh, what I took away from that part of the discussion is I also need to open my mind to other ideas and I have to believe in myself yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that And once I start believing in myself, it doesn't mean magical things or money's going to start dropping in the, you know, in, in, into my bank account. But then that opens my mind up to other opportunities, yeah. whether that's going in and you know, asking for a raise or maybe exploring a new business opportunity. Yeah. And I and I loved that part because I think so often, like when I look at my career, Dave was transparent about his diet. When I look at my career, I felt it's kind of like this 
even though I love what I do, it's just kind of a one-track career. I'm in the news business, and I, I jumped from reporter to investigative reporter. Now I'm a radio talk show host. But then I'm starting to realize there's a lot of other things that that could be opened up to me, whether it's a new podcast, and we can look at doing something like that, or yeah. more voice work for the station, and, and other things. So once we start looking at things that light, Heather, and your podcast today really helped me with that, and, oh, and I listened to it in the bathroom this morning, and then I finished it on my way into uh, the newsroom today. It was very helpful. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That's what I hope that my podcast called Money Making Sense brings to people. It's how do you think about money and how can you save more or spend more wisely? A penny saved is a penny earned. And I think we forget that because we we do kind of accept or maybe rationalize in our brain like, well, everyone has a Netflix account. I have to have a Netflix account. So there's 15 bucks. That's just I'm I'm never going to see again. But you know, you start measuring, well, what do I really need a Netflix account? Or do I need Netflix, Hulu, Paramount Plus, HBO, and what, Peacock? Did right. I leave any out? You know, you start stacking those on, and next thing you know, you're like, oh, well, that $100 that makes a difference. Yeah, and I do want to draw attention. You said right up front, you said, oh, just because I believe that I'm worthy of money, it's just going to fall into my lap. One thing that Justin talks about in my show is, he says, you have to have that feel like you are worthy first off. But once you feel like you're worthy to earn more money, you have to do the work to get it. But if you don't even feel you're worthy, you're not going to do the work. One of the other takeaways from the podcast, I don't want to give everything away, but it is, it is, it's a, it's a great 20, 20 or so minutes, 30 minutes um, of your time well spent. Um, And let's just spend a few seconds on this is um, he brought up assigning your money to different, actually like physically different, having different bank accounts. Yes. And I love that idea. And I haven't done that yet. And I've been meaning to, and you've inspired me to do that too. I have been doing that for about 12 years now. So I have my checking account where I pay all my bills, but I have a separate emergency fund. The one where, you know, if you blow your tire and you have to buy one right this second, you, you need access to it immediately. But I have an even separate savings account that is my six month emergency, like if I lost my job, I'm not going to need all of that money, you know, today, but I can draw from it slowly. And it takes like five days to get that money from that account to me. So I can't use it as an impulse, you know, to use that money. But if you have a separate account and every week you just send a dollar or $5 to that account every week, you can do it on automatic transfer Within a few months, you're going to see like, oh my gosh, that, hey, look at this little nest egg I've started to develop here. And it makes you feel really good. Am I remembering this right? Didn't you pay for a car that way? Just yes. squirreling money away? Yep. I did. I had my car for 23 years. And there's almost the, from the time that I paid it off. So it took me about five years to pay it off the, the, this, the old car. I just started put, putting that money I had been paying toward my car into a separate savings account. So after another- For 18 years? For 18 years. And then I had enough money. I just went, here, okay, here's my cash. Like, only you I paid didn't for tell- the car in cash. 
I did. Yeah, uh, you can't tell them you, you have cash. You don't tell them you have cash because yeah. they'll raise you, the Heather. Price. I'm proud of you. Love your podcast. Money making sense. Heather Kelly with KSL News Radio. We're lucky to have you here. Um, yeah, come back again with the next time you've got a, another podcast drop that you you know cool. will be interested in. It's really good stuff. Money making sense with Heather Kelly. Uh, go subscribe to her podcast today. Listen to that episode. She's got a ton of other episodes there as well. Uh, next, we are talking about women and money. Uh, and this has happened uh, in my lifetime where women were allowed to finance in my lifetime. I'm going to be 57 years old in a few weeks. Buying a home on their own without the signature of a man. And now guess what has happened? We are taking the world by storm in America when it comes to uh, being home buyers on our own. Uh, we're going to, with the help of the Stern team, thankfully, we certainly appreciate their partnership here with us at KSL News Radio, talking about why women are more likely to buy a home than men. Next. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Well, on every Wednesday uh, for the rest of the year, we're so grateful to the Stern team for partnering with us for our very important topics about home buying and housing. Priced out. Housing. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. And this this topic, oh, it certainly caught my eye because it has to do with women, specifically single women. Um, in 2023, we outnumbered men as home buyers. And I want to be specific uh, and remind you, this is single women. So this isn't women signing and then, you know, uh, you know, their, their man is, you know, living there. So this is single women, according to the National Association of Realtors. I think I, I'm both surprised and not surprised. <laughs> okay, let me tell you why. Obviously, surprising just because of the gender stereotypes, right? And, and I think we're going to dive into this a little bit. Is it, it hasn't been that long since women couldn't buy a home. In my lifetime. Like On their own. Literally in your lifetime. So... Like that's not my experience. Uh, it, it seems foreign. It seems crazy, but of course, like this, this was a real thing. So again, not my experience. So a little surprising that way. Maybe not surprising for this reason: the majority of people that are graduating from college right now are women. The majority of uh, STEM graduates, science, technology, engineering, and math, also women. So maybe we shouldn't be totally surprised. Do you feel like that gives them a financial leg up uh, with um, their qualifications and their finances to be able to get into a home? Is that is that why you brought that up? Yeah, for sure. Anytime you look at earning potential, if you have a degree, now there's some argument to be made there. But yeah, uh, I think college is a pretty good indication. And it's double. I mean, the statistics show it is double uh, in terms of men, single men buying um a home last year 19 percent of all home buyers last year were single women 10 percent were single men um and, i'm surprised anybody single can buy a home really so there you go right yeah. i mean you think about that now my son did it my son did it yeah. um it was not an easy road because there's a there's a lot of bidding bidding wars at the time, and he was a first time home buyer too. But I did it as a as a, a single woman. Now the price of my first home was far less expensive. Yeah. 
than his. But I also say thank you to the women who fought for women to buy a home on their own because I bought my first home in 1993 and it was in 1970 that women were allowed under, you know, federal law to buy a home without a man. And that to me says, okay, less than a quarter century later, um, when I was, you know, in my mid-20s, I was able to then just go in on my own and sign all the paperwork. I didn't have anybody sitting there with me. It was me and the mortgage lender, who was a man. And, uh, you know, he helped me through the process, but it was just me. I was on my own. And um, I'm grateful to that. When I realized that if that I'd been born a lot earlier, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And that made all of the difference for me in my life financially. It absolutely, that moment I went in and signed that paperwork was a game changer for me. I was out of the world of renting. I'd been renting since I was 18 years old. Um, And it also gave my husband and me our, what I'm going to say is a little bit of a nest egg to be able to sell that property and buy our first home together because I'd built equity in the time that I had lived there. So why is it happening that women are now clearly outpacing men, single women, to get into their homes? Um, there's been some analysis done on this, um, and it's it's pretty clear that more likely women are going to be the caregivers, the single moms. They're going to be caring for their parents. They're going to be caring for their children, and they want a stability factor in their life, and that stability comes with not... Um, you know, exorbitant prices, uh, rental prices going up on them, monthly rents soaring, or the fact that they have to get kicked out because their landlords decided to rent to somebody new. Stability is the key. When yeah, I hear, huge. When I hear you describe that caregiving, uh, perhaps you have a, a parent living with you. Yeah, you want the stability of a home. Do you agree with this? There's also uh, information in this report that says women will make more sacrifices. So according to the National Association of Realtors, there's data out there, Dave, that shows single women are more likely than men to make financial sacrifices like, you know, cutting back on non-essential spending. Um will even be more willing to take a second oh. job. At Debbie, I'm telling you, in my own family, really, that is the case. I have to be very clear with my wife. I'm like, we are never getting rid of my Audible account, and we're never getting rid of my Apple Music. Like, that's 30 bucks you can just kiss goodbye for the rest of eternity. Okay, so- She would have had him cut yesterday. Because it's 25 bucks a month or something like yeah, that. 15 bucks a month per. And then she probably does an inventory- I was like, how often are you using Audible? Yeah. Are you using your full like month's <laughs> supply? And if you aren't, is there a cheaper plan out there? That's exactly how I was. Remember yeah. when we actually had phones that went into the wall at home? <laughs> no, they hated it when wall ma- they hated it when mama did the yearly audit of all things we spent. Because I would sit down like over a weekend and pull out all the bills, and then I would be on the phone for the next week cutting out all of these extras that were tacked on in the bill um, that I didn't even know about, or I'd be questioning, like, how much are you using this, or why are you overusing this? Um, Why do you need a second and third cheeseburger? Yeah, I get it. Oh, yeah. No, my my husband was on an allowance, (laughs) and everybody at the office knew it.
He was on an allowance. I'm sorry. Sorry, That's guys. I'm drinking true. water today. So women are more likely to make sacrifices, and those sacrifices add up to a lot of money um, over time that you can then put toward um, being getting into your first home, getting yeah. into a home at all. Um, and I think women are more likely to do that than men. We're just more willing. And we're also, um, I think sometimes with men, this is just my observation, there's a, in some cases, now this wasn't the case in my marriage, there is a pride factor with men with taking a second job. A pride uh, factor. A pride factor. Yeah, you How have so? your main career and uh-huh. you're not going to go out and work a second job. And I don't think we have that same, oh. we don't, we're just like, whatever job. At least is how I've I want been. everybody working all the time, so I have absolutely no hesitation uh, on this. You don't. You don't have. You don't feel that. You're like I have. I'm the breadwinner, and I'm not. I'll be darn if I'm going to take a second job. Yeah, the team. Everyone on the team gets to play if they want. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a lot of reasons for for why that's happening, um, but I think this is just. This is just the beginning. Well, I, I, I think it's just the beginning. I do. I find it fascinating. Again, let me go back to kind of my original point. I'm, I'm shocked that anyone can buy a home when they're single. Single ladies or single guys because when we see, and we've, we've done research here in Utah, to buy a home, you need to have a, a salary of about $130,000 a year here in the state of Utah, mm-hmm. to be able to afford an average home. So does that mean women who are buying these homes they're, are making at least that? They're that's obviously impressive. making some good money, so that's, that's great. Impressive. Hey, uh, we want to thank the Stern team who who partners up with a lot of our conversations about homes and housing prices. Learn your true uh, value of your home in just 30 seconds. All you have to do is go to thesternteam.com. Uh, dot com to find out more. Thank you so much once again to the Stern team. Straight ahead, Boyd Matheson walking into studio. Um, what happened to the president's national security risk in TikTok? Yeah. President Biden on TikTok. Boyd's got the scoop on that next. Hi, it's David Debbie here of the David Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, Dave and Dejanovic have inside sources. Okay, Boyd Matheson with the inside scoop on what gives uh, Mr. President, President Biden, making his TikTok debut. Uh, just ahead of the Super Bowl, I actually kind of liked it. I liked it on what he said on TikTok. I thought it was kind of fun, but Dave's like, Boo. game or commercials? Game. Game or halftime show? Game. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I say she makes great chocolate chip cookies. Deviously. Yeah, make great chocolate chip cookies. Uh, All right, here, here are your <laughs> options, Mr. President. You can either sit down with 60 Minutes and have an in-depth discussion that every president does every single Super Bowl. Or you can start a TikTok account and talk about chocolate chip cookies. Yes, but I want to be clear, Boyd. This is his campaign account uh, because uh, that is needs that context, uh, I think, needs to happen. Yeah. Because he has been outspoken about security issues surrounding 
TikTok and concerns, yeah. and so has Congress. Yeah, no question about it. And and to me, that's the most stunning part of this. Yep. Is is how I do agree. you how do you go from less than a year ago, the president making that formal declaration, no TikTok on any government phone. Uh, of course, we've had that in states across the country as well. Governors have said no TikTok on any government phone. And I think on federal phones, Utah, too, yeah. federal as phones. well, exactly. can't have um, – so federally owned or paid for phones can't have TikTok. Yeah, and so if that is a security risk, how all of the sudden is that okay for the president of the United States, even though it's a mm. campaign account, Okay, it's the company. The company is a Chinese-based, Chinese-owned company. The president was part of Congress calling for that to either be banned completely in the United States or divested, sold off to an American company if they wanted to do it that way. And so how do you make that giant leap from banning it, saying it should be out of the country altogether, to signing up and having your own account and launching it in front of the entire world on Super Bowl Sunday? And I'll, I'll give you a hint. It starts with an L. Lobbyists. Uh, over $5 million in lobbying just spent over the last six months lobbying the White House, members of Congress, and suddenly all of those who were so up in arms about it suddenly have seen cash go into where? Their campaign coffers. And suddenly, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe we just, maybe this is the president and the president's team saying, we just want to meet the young people where they are. Uh, and so the dollars and cents are clearly driving the decisions not national security, and what's in the best interest of the country. This is what has always rings so hollow for me. As everybody, you know, of the boomer generation, apologies, mom, <laughs> the boomer generation that is like, we're getting rid of TikTok, it's a security risk. I'm like, yeah, because you don't like it. As soon as you like it, as soon as you see value in it, as soon as you can profit from it in some way, now everybody's on board. Yeah. It's why it has felt so disingenuous because, listen, the younger generation, this is their app. They yeah. love it. Yeah. They And guess what? If you're on it, I don't care what your age is, you love it too because it is one of the greatest apps ever designed. Yeah. Is it, it a security risk? Fine. Yeah. But it, it feels so opportunistic. It's definitely opportunistic. And the president needs younger voters. There's no question. Yeah. President Biden does not win re-election without getting the younger voters. So he he is going to where they are. Uh, but again, between the lobbying uh, and then you have to give TikTok credit, too. They have gone out with a multimedia campaign that convinces you grandmas use TikTok. Priests and none use TikTok. They do. Uh, and they do. Yeah. Uh, and so they're highlighting it as, oh, this is just this wonderful thing where everybody is and it's all up and up. Doesn't talk about the Chinese companies that are taking all of your information that is serving everything up to you in terms of the algorithms and what is going on. And so suddenly, suddenly we've lost track of all of those things that everybody was so worried about. So, so I, I was on TikTok last night and I saw the algorithm fed me a Jimmy Fallon bit where he was imitating uh, President Biden, and <laughs> I think it's a. I think it, you just talk about it as a campaign strategy. I mean, Biden responds. Our Roman Empire I'm, is the Roman Empire. Because I was there. I'm always happy made fun of by America's most watched late night host. But if Colbert won't do it, you're fine too, Jimmy. <laughs> I mean. Okay, that's kind of funny, um, and I actually didn't think the Jimmy Fallon bit was that funny when I watched it, so he got more bang for his buck, too, yeah. out of it. But, 
I, I mean, I we talk about, I'm just struggling to see, uh, and I have for a long time, uh, struggled to see why, um, you. I think China, if they want our information, they're going to get to it. And I'm not, I've, hey, you guys on, Dave's on TikTok. Boyd, are you? I'm not. So what information are we giving them? Uh, besides my email address and a couple of other, and you and know, which uh, comedians <laughs> I like to watch. Honestly, and, that's what and it every, is. Everything you click on, everything you watch, all of that is going into their. The yeah, reason you're getting the algorithm served back to you is because they're following every, they're tracking everything that. But you're everything doing I buy at the grocery store when I put my phone yeah, number true. in yeah. is also tracked, yeah. and I I'm not saying they're doing anything weird with it. I don't know where that data is yeah. going because. I don't have time to track where that data is going. Right. And guess what? I, I want the 10 cents off. Yeah. So I'm going to put my phone number in yeah. every time. Yeah. Every time I shop at a at a, at a Costco, they know exactly yeah. what I've bought. And I love Costco. And I yeah. just keep going back. Um, and it was, well, it's China. Well, who? I don't know where my data is going. I can't say for sure. It's just, it's not going to Mexico or Nigeria. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But with TikTok, we do know where it's going. And it is going to the CCP. They own the business. Uh, and so it's very clear where the data is going. What they're doing with it all, we don't know exactly. Although, if you go back through the last two campaign cycles in terms of China interference and what they've tried to do in terms of misinformation, disinformation, uh, it, it's just one of those things where uh, I think we have to – You can we can say, okay, it's fine. Look, everybody hated Facebook when it first came out, and then President Obama made it cool, and everybody jumped on board, and it, and it was cool. Uh, but I think we have to be very careful in terms of how we go about this and why we go about it. If we're just following it because it's fun and it's cool and it's hip and I don't really care because everybody's got my information anyway, that's one thing. But let's not let's not remember there were there were months of hearings in Congress. Yeah, I know about I agree the security that issues. That's well, reality. That's I, stuff going on in the in the skiff and and in and, things in terms of real and present yeah. dangers and so let's not just dismiss it as this was a fun thing to do uh, and i appreciate you reminding us of that because that storyline has gone away it's gone exactly exactly and, and that's and exactly, i also appreciate oh, your point though too to say you know in the president biden situation where he jumps on tiktok it seems like rules for thee but not for me yeah yeah you and know, I, where he's already spoken out against his national yeah, security yeah, concerns about yeah. it and so to me it's got to be you know what is what is just being opportunistic and what's going to be helpful to you politically uh, as opposed to what really is a national security concern uh, and the one thing we have to remember is places like china they always count on the american people losing interest it's the same thing that Vladimir Putin counts on every day, that the United States will lose interest in Ukraine, that will lose interest in TikTok, that will lose interest in these other companies that are doing things inside the United States, whatever it may be. And so uh, it's that portion of the program that I think we have to be really careful of because thugs, bad guys, and dictators always count on the short attention span of members of Congress and the American people. And that's how they continue to influence what we're thinking the division that continues to drive our political conversation. Don't think for a minute that's not part of what's happening on TikTok and a host of other apps. Boyd, thank you for joining us, Boyd Maths. And today, Inside Sources starts at 1. This KSL preview is brought to you by Window World. Replace your windows and doors with the hassle, without the hassle or baloney. Call Window World of Utah today. Great stuff, Boyd. As always, bringing the best hits, the greatest hits, straight ahead. Uh, the Utah lawmaker behind a nearly billion-dollar price tag proposal 
uh, to build the new ballpark in Utah joining us. And if you missed uh, our chatter about this uh, earlier in the show, let's give you a little bit of a hint. Uh, This has to do with a new tax. Uh, We'll give you the rest of the information straight ahead. David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. Let's fly on up to Capitol Hill. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with David Dujanovic. We've got a new development in the story we were talking about earlier in the show. Uh, In a moment, we're going to have the lawmaker um, call us, probably on Capitol Hill right now, um, regarding this announcement that has to do with a proposal on Capitol Hill to increase the hotel tax. Uh, what would that be used for um, to help uh, bring a baseball stadium to uh, a major league baseball stadium near downtown Salt Lake City? A stadium, um, a project that was announced last year by Gail Miller. Our coalition called Big League Utah has registered our intent to have Utah's capital city considered as an expansion market with major league baseball. Now, every sports team in America has fights with their city about an arena, a stadium, uh, a football field, whatever it might be. Everybody fights about this because nobody wants to pay for it. The owners don't want to pay for it. The city doesn't want to pay for it. No one wants to pay for it. But everyone agrees they want the football team or the baseball team or the hockey league. They want a team in their city. So this is where you're starting to hash out the details. Representative Ryan Wilcox live on the line with us. You calling up us from Capitol Hill, Representative? I am. I just stepped off the floor. Oh, okay. So you're on the House floor. It's floor time right now. We won't keep you long, but uh, super interested in the details of this legislation. I love sure. I love sticking it to the tourists when we can. <laughs> but walk us <laughs> walk us through that component of the hotel tax. <laughs> well, it's not a hotel tax. It, it is the transient room tax, which is primarily paid um, through hotel stays. And that's that part is true, and it, that's by design. Uh, where this is a tourism benefit and a lift, that that is where that burden would lie rather than on most Utahns. Um, there's also a 0.10% increase. So there's, there's two parts to that. It's 1.6 total. So 1.6 or $1.50 on $100 uh, would go to this project only if Utah is granted a major league franchise. We sign a franchise agreement then that would kick in for the funding of the stadium, um, a 0.10% increase of that. So the, the rest of that 1.6 will go into effect immediately for rural EMS. What we've run into with that is existing really in rural Utah right now, especially in our search and rescue. Most of those guys are volunteer, um, but we are constantly rescuing travelers from out of state who who come in to enjoy our beautiful assets and get lost or uh, get themselves into trouble. And it's really been a burden on our local sheriff's offices, our local search and rescue teams. And they've been asking for some help with that. And we felt like that was appropriate Mm. to be able to increase that portion of that transit room tax, which again is primarily garnered from travelers to the state of Utah to help pay for their rescue when they need that. So that, I, that's that portion of the TRT. I was surprised at how little was being charged here in Utah because I guess my one of my experiences is Las Vegas, 
and they hit you with <laughs> right. 37 different, you know, TRT taxes, a resort fee, and then all of a sudden that $29 a room per <laughs> night is like 150 right. Yes. <laughs> that 29 looked really good when right? you first see it on Priceline. Yeah, yeah exactly. But but yeah. but this is, you're sounding like this is going to go to about uh, $1.50 per $100 spent, um, you know, in a hotel room for a night. Right. Right. But that's okay. for now. That is for everybody. So those in Duchesne and Carbon County and Washington County, sure. I wonder how they feel about sending all that money to a Salt Lake baseball team. Well, I suppose that those who visit those counties um, would help be, you know, help contribute to the state asset that we're talking about here. There's also some unique, in addition to the rural EMS funding. Um, really, this and you notice it's called the Fair Park Area Investment and Restoration District. We have struggled for years to figure out how to best preserve and take care of that property. Uh, we want, which is primarily exists to focus on our agricultural heritage, our pioneer heritage. It exists in Salt Lake City because we feel like that's where uh, Utah comes together. That's where it, it needs to exist. And so, I mean, 10 years ago when I was here, we were talking about uh, eliminating the fair park here in Salt Lake because it just didn't pencil. It didn't make money. It costs a lot of money every year. And uh, we didn't know how to, to preserve those historic buildings appropriately. And we've made a lot of progress in that area. But what this really does is allows us to lift that entire area. But if we're going to invest here, that state asset that we would be, again, spending state dollars on in the hundreds of millions of, of dollars, if we were to do this through regular appropriations to take care of it, um, we have a mechanism with this to enhance that asset that does sell for uh, rural Utah. It does help to promote agriculture and that cultural heritage, but it also allows us to build up that community in general uh, to promote local business in a way that we just haven't been able to do before. Representative, Unfortunately, that area has been in trouble for a while. Yeah, I drove through it not too long ago, and it just I'm hopeful uh, that it can be revitalized. Uh, Representative Ryan yeah. Wilcox, live from Capitol Hill, uh, he's just stepped off the House floor to talk to us. I, I want to ask you real quickly, I know your time is short, Representative. Have you sure. spoken to the governor about this plan? Because the governor has been outspoken about not raising taxes, yet this is sure. what your plan would do. What does he say to you about this? Yes, we've been in uh, consultation with the governor's office, with uh, the cities that are involved, the counties, of course, um, throughout this entire process. And so we all understand what we're looking at. Um, to the extent that um, we have anything at risk, we want to make sure that that's not at risk in the long term, meaning we've negotiated ownership of the stadium itself, the stadium land. Uh, we would put in less than half of the project cost to build the stadium, for example, but we would retain full ownership of the property uh, once it's built, meaning we would have an instant uh, nearly a billion dollar in equity uh, in the project. Um, and then we've written in protections so that nothing, nothing happens without, uh, you know, that franchise agreement being signed. And if they move at any point, then they are required to immediately pay back anything that was raised. So the, so the state we, would be the owner of the stadium. That's correct. All right. And we would have the, we would have the additional investment into the fair park itself, preserving it for the long term. And another thing, I don't know if you guys have been down to, San Antonio and seen the river walk. Yep. Um, our river that runs through it is actually much cooler than that one down there. 
and uh, has never quite been leveraged properly. You look at the, at the website at BigLeagueUtah.com, you'll be able to see uh, some of the design ideas there, but we're envisioning a river walk uh, right here uh, next to downtown between the airport and downtown um, that uh, will easily rival and be able to preserve that, that area, um, anything else that we've seen in the country as far as that kind of an asset that we haven't been able to, to leverage in the past. Well, we're excited we, about what it does for water quality, for uh, tourism, uh, of course, but as well as what it does for the local community there. For sure. And wow, I guess coincidentally enough, San Antonio is also one of those cities that is up for Major League Baseball expansion. Boo. It's one. It's one that we're competing yeah, against. We hear that they might be interested. Yeah. But uh, our uh, new Riverwalk is ESPN cool. We an article yesterday that said that that uh, one and two spot was Salt Lake and Nashville. Oh, so, you, you so saw that where? Throwing that out there. Where did you say? Uh, you want to look at ESPN, Jeff, Jeff Passing. Yeah. Oh, a number awesome. Of those, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. you baseball sound like... Baseball insiders have definitely taken notes. All right, so you're obviously a baseball fan then. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I think that might be why I have this assignment. <laughs> well, you have the assignment, that's right. Figure just, it out. Not just officially, I'd like to say I, I fully support... All taxes to bring in a Major League Baseball stadium, especially a, a Debbie Dujanovic-specific tax. I go ahead and raise that to 50%. Do not care. Whatever it takes to get baseball here. All right, Representative Ryan Wilcox, uh, just at the plate, knocked it out of the park for us here on the Dave and Dujanovic Show, gave us the scoop on what could lie ahead if his proposal uh, makes it through Capitol Hill. It sounds like he's been doing his homework, um, you know, uh, and we'll have to follow this but Dave your takeaway yeah I think it's uh very exciting uh, obviously I I am completely blinded by this I I'm not thinking rationally so <laughs> I'm gonna have to like abdicate you know let you pass on this vote because Dave is just a rubber stamp at well this point. I'm I'm a big baseball fan I'd be super excited for it but he also had me when he said we're gonna have a river walk we're gonna have this goes through a river walk in the Salt Lake City area, sign me up. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and I following up right now on uh, what has become a shocking, a sad, and really a story that's been happening in Tooele over the last couple of days that puts us in new territory. When we learned uh, yesterday that a nine-year-old had been arrested in connection with a shooting death investigation of a 32-year-old man in Tooele. Um, and we learned this morning, uh, with the help of our KSL legal analyst who joined us in the 9 o'clock hour, Greg Scordis, that our read of Utah law says a nine-year-old can't be held criminally responsible. He's too young. Um we know that Tooele police have told us, uh, because they told us this on the record, Dave, and on camera yesterday, that this is new territory for them, too, uh, and they are proceeding with caution. Um, and, the, you know, certainly everybody in the community is shocked. You know, a situation like this where you have one family member potentially uh, being killed by another, you don't lose just that one family member, you lose two family members. Nine years old is shocking. It's shocking to talk about a nine-year-old and homicide in the same sentence. I, we, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. But when you say he's too young and that he can't be held criminally responsible, well, technically, 
A 16-year-old is too young to be tried as an adult, but we do make exceptions. We make exceptions for minors, and that's what a 16 or 17 or 15-year-old is. It's a minor, but there are times when prosecutors will try them as adults, and they will get adult prison sentences. I don't think that can happen in this case. Um, so here's the the twist uh, that we learned through our analysis this morning of Utah law. A nine-year-old cannot be held criminally responsible under the law. The law says anyone under the age of 14 cannot be held criminally responsible. Um, and Greg joined us in the nine o'clock hour to walk us through this. So what you're talking about is, let's say, a 16-year-old uh, shoots and kills some of his family members. Um, horrible scenario. We've certainly covered those situations here before. And what will happen is that prosecutors might be able to look at a case of a 16, 17-year-old, 15-year-old. I, I don't know off the top of my head the exact verbiage in the law and say they acted in such a way that we can put them into the adult court system. We can put them through the adult um, courts, which are far different than juvenile courts. But in this case, because this child is under 14 years old, there are options, uh, but that option does not include throwing him in an adult jail, yes, uh, throwing him in an adult prison, um, and throwing him uh, into uh, an adult-sized courtroom right. here in downtown Salt Lake City. Um, but I also want to be clear here, very, very clear. We don't know the why behind this. And that is important to keep reminding our listeners and ourselves. We don't know the why. And the why is so critical in this. It's so critical because they're being so tight-lipped. We don't know if this, this nine-year-old was mentally challenged if it was a self-defense situation, if it was intentional and vicious, or if it was an accident. We don't know any of those things. But when we hear from the police, and they are using the words like homicide with this nine-year-old, then that's where we need to start looking at it and having a very difficult conversation about, okay, if that is the case, if they can prove that to be the case, then what do we do about this? Uh, what we also don't know is um, where he got the gun. Uh, we don't know how many shots were fired because the police are not releasing that information. Uh, through the work of our colleagues at KSL 5 Television, we have learned uh, that when they've talked to neighbors, the neighbors have said this is a father and a son situation. Um, and you asked Greg Scordis earlier in the show. Greg is a former prosecutor. He's now a defense attorney. Uh, he isn't a, a crime analyst, a legal analyst here for us at KSL News Radio and KSL Television. So he, you asked him if this wasn't an accident, um, then what? We understand, and if you're a parent, you know that a nine-year-old certainly has a different mindset, a different idea of right and wrong than a than a nineteen-year-old. And so we we treat them differently in our system. That's why you can't charge them criminally because they just don't have that kind of uh, uh, maturity and development in their their mental state to to appreciate always the consequences of their conduct. I know some people are probably rolling their eyes right now, but really there's there's probably no state in the country that would allow for a nine year old to be prosecuted criminally. It just it just doesn't happen. 
that being said, the, the question always remains now, what do you do? What do you do with a nine-year-old? Well, he can be adjudicated in the juvenile court. They can take him into custody, which they've done already, and perhaps even put him in some level of detention or secure confinement. But that'll end when he's 18 or maybe at the very, very most when he's 21. Incredible to think. As he as he said those those ages, like he could be in confinement or detainment until his twenty first birthday. I mean, that is eleven years from now. Well, he would certainly be on the very very younger end of that. I mean, we don't even have nine year olds in our detention facility that that you can think of. I mean, and it, and it would be tough for a nine year old because there are, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds, and they could be a bad influence on him. They could be a problem for him. So it may be some secure care where he's mostly alone or maybe even something like a home detention, ankle monitor, that type of thing. And we don't know. Uh, but Or he may need some level of hospitalization uh, given that age and, you know, counseling that he might need. Who knows what's going on in, in his head right now and what's going to be the best for him and for society. And again, Debbie, we don't know what would happen. If worst case scenario, this this were some sort of a murder, what the punishment would look like. But again, let me just go back. You had mentioned we've seen scenarios where a teen kills his family. I remember the mm-hmm. the Grantsville teen yeah. that was 16 years old County. that that killed uh, his mother, his three siblings. He was sentenced to 100 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, I. We, we need to figure out, you know, what, what would be appropriate for this nine-year-old? Because this is something I, I never thought we'd ever have to address. I, I, my mind couldn't even get there. But we, we've got to figure out the details because yeah. as, a, as a community, as, as a state, we need to know, okay, the unlikely, the unthinkable has happened. Now what is fair? You cannot possibly judge what's appropriate or not appropriate for the nine-year-old, for this nine-year-old, um, until you know yes. the why. And I want to remind you, we may find out details, but we're not guaranteed that same type of disclosure that we are when adults are charged or adults are brought into custody. This is a juvenile. We may never know. Dave, Dave and DeGenevick. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I realized that we're basically like the landing pad for all things falling from the sky that have to do with space. Thanks to the uh, West Desert, the Utah Test and Training Range, it is happening again today. It it makes so much more sense than dropping it in the middle of the ocean and trying to find somebody. <laughs> like, let's land it in the middle of a big, ginormous desert. That makes a lot more sense. It's not washing away at that point. I, I found this out when I listened this morning to Utah's Morning News and KSL News Radio's Britt Johnson talked about the space capsule that's falling uh, into the Utah West Desert today. Co-founder of Varda Space Industries, Dalian Asbruoff, says the area west of Salt Lake City has just the right conditions for landing a space capsule. And as we were debating sort of where was the best uh, location for reentry, um, that it turned out that basically, you know, Salt Lake City uh, ended up being the you know, sort of right place to do that because there is this sort of Utah test and training range. This isn't the first time we've had a landing at the Utah test and training range. Back in 2004, NASA's spacecraft Genesis landed here. Asbruov is also excited to be back here as a former student at West High. Britt Johnson, KSL News Radio. 
So when your kids are complaining about math class and they don't want to do math class and I'll never use this, no, you drop something out of space and you land it in Utah exactly where you want, that's why you need the maths, kid. That's why you need the math. Uh, Adam Small joins us right now. Adam. Woo. The team report. We're, we're we, got the, the, we got the whole staff on this, Dave. We're all about dropping stuff in the middle of the desert. Okay, so what's what's landing? So it's a space capsule carrying, according to space.com, I had to look this up, it's carrying crystals of ritonavir. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. So it's, a, so quoting, an antiviral drug used to treat HIV and hepatitis C. So basically, this company, Varda uh, Space Industry, they're, they're trying to, like, develop pharmaceuticals in space yep. because some of the conditions are more favorable, like conditions are favorable for landing stuff in the west desert so. yeah it's perfect conditions because there's no there's no gravitational pull um i think things don't clump together because they don't we don't have all the same forces in space that we have on planet earth you're welcome i know dave's Jeez, looking at Deb. me like how do you know this i read the article today i do chemistry i'm fa- i love chemistry i'm fascinated by this because let's not forget that just like a couple of months ago last september we had re- the return of of Osiris? Osiris. Osiris Rex. Osiris Rex. In just a few moments, we should enter into special use airspace at approximately 8.46 a.m. That's going to be at 10 miles off the deck here at Utah Test and Training Range. SRC has touchdown. And touchdown of the Osiris Rex sample return capsule. A journey of a billion miles to asteroid Bennu and back has come to an end. Uh, And now you were there for that, right, Adam? Yeah, that was easily one of the most fun stories I've ever done as as a reporter, going down to Dugway and actually. Now, they wouldn't let us like on to the secure part of the airfield where we could actually see the capsule come down, but we're right there with like all of these like space geniuses from all around the country watching this monumental moment happen. It, it, that was yeah, that that was super cool to be a part of. Is there an indication or a sense that this is going to become a, the regular landing pad? Well, for for Varda, it's not necessarily. I saw on the Space.com article that they've actually been considering potentially looking into landing uh, capsules in Australia, but I don't know if that's maybe just chatter. I mean, come on. But landing capsules in Utah is actually not a new thing. Like, for example, OSIRIS-REx, that was the third major NASA, Uh NASA mission to land in uh, in Dugway. In 2004, there was actually uh, the NASA Genesis mission. Uh, that landed in Dugway, brought back solar wind samples. And also in 2006, Stardust brought back samples from a comet. OSIRIS-REx was the third one major mission to land here. And and if you've ever driven out to Wendover, past, to, you know, past like Tooele, past the McDonald's out there in, their, in the Urda exit or whatever, and you know what the West Desert looks like. It's not much different when you get to Dugway Proving Ground. I spent a lot of time in the 90s at Dugway Proving Ground. I can't tell you why. No, I was a news reporter. Everybody's <laughs> like, wow, that's Aliens. super cool. And I've been out there several times since. Uh, and, and then when you get to the West Desert, you know, then that area out there, there's plenty of open space. And also the Utah Test and Training Range is out in that facility. That's where Hila Air Force Base trains and fighter jets. Been out there lots, too. Um, and that is just, it's just open land, you know? Right, exactly. Right, exactly. So it's not just like favorable like weather and land conditions. Like you have plenty of open space. It's not going to land on I fifteen and someone's going to run over like a multi million (laughs) dollar project or whatever. It's you have this control, but it's also it's controlled. When you land it out in Dugway, you have the military literally watching it from point of entry 
all the way to touchdown, mm-hmm. and that's why that area just works so well for missions like this. Now, I don't know of any future NASA missions are planning to land something in Dugway, but like it, it's happened three times. It could easily happen again. They have a NASA has a great relationship with them, and who knows? Maybe Varda will choose to land more of their missions in Dugway. Another layer to this that I find fascinating is the fact that these are private companies, and it's becoming far more common. Yeah. For private companies to shoot something up into space and to bring it back, whether it's uh, SpaceX with Elon Musk or it's uh, Richard Branson. I mean, th- this is becoming far more common. It's not just the government sending missions and research up into the into space. This is happening from private companies. Uh, and the spokesperson did say, Avarda said uh, this about maybe more re-entries into Utah in the future. Um, so yeah, where you know this initial approval that we got from UTTR was for a single operation. Um, you know, we hope that it's, it's successful and that we can basically grow this partnership with them uh, and ideally you know, sort of do do more of this over time. It's not to say that every landing is going to be happening there, uh, but we hope that this isn't you know our last landing um, uh, in Utah. UTTR meaning Utah Test and Training Range, so they've got a partnership with them, or they've got a cooperative working arrangement with them. Do we know when this thing's going to come down? Because that's really all I care about, Adam. Tell me when. We've been looking all over what? for it, and I can't find it. You don't know? Is that super secret, or are you just thinking it just has the, the time hasn't been published? I, I would imagine they they might be keeping it hush hush. Because for example, mm-hmm. we knew when Osiris Rex was going to land because it was super popular, but it's also they invited the media out there to be there. <laughs> this seems like a lot more secure operation, so I'm imagine it's under wraps. But I've looked everywhere. If I find it, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Osiris Rex didn't have like this big. It was it wasn't like a meteor coming in, was it? Like a big bright light that you could see. It just kind of snuck its way in. I mean, it was it was a little bright. It definitely got pretty charred up at the end. So I mean, you, it started out pretty bright, but ended very charred. There we go. <laughs> Adam Small, thanks for Great joining stuff, us. Great stuff, Adam. Thank you so much. I think it's probably one of the most fascinating stories of the day, at least for me. Uh, let me know if you find out what time it is. I want to put my eyes to the sky. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.